Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and this is my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where I share simple and scientific ways to help you clean up your mental mess and live your best life. In this episode, I chat with intermittent fasting expert, Dr. Amy Shah, on how fasting can greatly improve your mental and physical health, the different types of fasting and why Dr. Amy prefers circadian fasting, how to fast safely for women the best time to get sunlight, how to navigate fasting if you have a history of disordered eating and weight issues, common fasting mistakes, and how to get started and make fasting sustainable, and more. Before we begin, if you like this podcast and want to know how you can help me continue to make episodes possible, please consider leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribing, and keep sharing with friends and family and on social media. Now, on to today's episode. Amy, I'm so excited to be interviewing you. This is going to be wonderful and very important information. And thank you for joining me today. I'm such a huge fan. Oh, thank you. What a nice way to start the interview. Thank you. Well, I'm a huge fan of yours too. So there we go. We both like each other's work. (laughs) That's so fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, can you tell my listeners, they've heard your bio, which is fantastic. Can you tell me, tell my listeners and viewers a little bit about who you are, what you do, what motivates you, what's not in your bio, you know, some fun stuff. Yeah, I think the big thing that I've realized that medicine does not know everything. And I think we all know that we completely leave out mindset and mind-body connection in the Western model. And that really motivates me to, to teach about the gut, the brain, the hormone, and the immune connection, because it's something that we know a lot about through research, yet we never talk about it and we never mm-hmm. advise people. And people wonder why they're tired and why they're anxious and depressed and why they have all these metabolic problems. And honestly, when I look at the literature, it's so clear to me that we have dysfunction here. So that motivates me in my work. I love, I'm very, very active and I love nature. And so circadian rhythms was such a great topic for me to dive into in my work because I really do believe in the power of the sun and the darkness and nature. And it's so obvious to myself and to everyone around us, yet we don't even recommend it in our normal, you know, diagnoses and treatment plans. And so I love the outdoors. I am an immigrant child that moved to America when I was quite young. And so I have a taste of what it's like to be the underdog, be struggling. I have a 
very big heart for people who are in the same boat or similar boats where mm-hmm. they're un- misunderstood or struggling. And got, lo and behold, I ended up in a field, medicine, where the leaders are all, you know, they all look the same and they're all the same gender and they all dress the same. And, and I said, yeah, I said, wow, <laughs> this is such a crazy, you know, we talk about it in Wall Street. We talk about it in all kinds of different genres, but in medicine where, you know, 50% of the medical students, more than 50% of the medical students are female at this point. Mm-hmm. Yet the leadership and the thought leadership yeah. and the talking heads, they're all still the old white males, you know, boys clubs. Yeah. 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 No, it's crazy. I'm so I'm so glad you raised those points. I'm, I'm, I want to hit home on some of the points you've raised. The fact that you're an MD, and I work with so many doctors and MDs as well. And there's no you you people come to you for everything, but you don't get training in mind. And that's always been something. Every doctor that I've ever worked with, and it's years now, it astounds me. That should be a huge part of training. So you sort of you underline that that it's not just about the physical body. You're dealing with a whole person. So the holistic approach to medicine is really missing in medical training, isn't it? I mean, it's really as you said the talk. The very, really new research, Carolyn, was that the inflammation cells that are in the gut, when they looked at the same, the people that have inflammation in their gut, they found the same inflammation cells in their brain. Exactly. And, they were, and they're like shocked. And yeah. we just think, oh, of course, like if your gut is inflamed and you fix that, your brain is going to become clearer and vice versa. Exactly. I mean, it's just the most logical conclusion. And obviously, if you're fixing that, you've got to change people's minds about how they do how they do life. So you've got to look at the person, their context, why they're doing what they're doing. And you can't just treat someone like a, a physical body, which is what the focus has been in the last 30, 40 years, which has made us go backwards so many steps. I often feel like we've moved, we've advanced, we know technologically and medically, but we've gone so far backwards when it comes to the human and the spiritual development and you know, the split between East and West and medicine and taking the spirit out of out of the holistic approach to treating people. So I'm so excited that you approach it like that. And, and I'm excited to talk about the, you know, the circadian rhythm and fasting and all the great things that you do. So it's wonderful. So you are considered an expert on intermittent fasting, and there's so much out there about that for women. So can you talk about this first and how does fasting work differently for women than men? Because that's important. And as, as a lot of, as we know, how much of the research is done on males and on rats and then women are left out of the whole picture. So they, the hormones aren't considered and, you know, that, that whole area. And then, as you say, the medical field is dominated by mainly white males and it's old research. I was talking to a doctor yesterday about this as well. It's old research that's not being brought into modern day holistic medicine. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, you know, and it really comes into play with something like intermittent fasting because you look at women and men and we know that their metabolism, their hormones, obviously their hormones are different, but also the way they process stressors is different. So what we what we know from the research is that we have a gonadotropin releasing hormone. It's called GNRH. It's in our brain. And it's like kind of the master controller and it pulses. And those pulses are very, very sensitive to external stressors. And in women, it seems like there's these special neurons, these peptin neurons, these special neurons that kind of even make it more sensitive for the female brain. And I think we know that stress and anxiety, even subjectively, the scores are higher in women. But we also realize now that when you put really big stressors on the GNRH pulse, whether it's stress in your life or stress of dieting or stress of fasting for prolonged periods, the pulses 
get disturbed. And when they get disturbed, it doesn't go to your pituitary to release the luteinizing hormone, the follicular stimulating hormone. So it goes, then the ovaries are affected. And you notice there's one animal study that actually really elucidated this very clearly that really doing fasting, say for 24 hours every other day, pretty aggressive fast. And this is in mice. Yeah. So this is, you know, you can equivalent, that's a couple day fast for a, a woman yeah. that it can cause problems in that GnRH pulse. Mm. Now, I can tell you, you knew that. And I know that because yeah. we know that if you put a lot of stress on a woman's body, whether it's yeah. physical stress or mental stress, yeah. Their ovarian hormones and their pituitary hormones will shut down. And we see that all the time with athletes who train so much that they miss their periods. Mm -hmm. And we see that with women in the corporate world. They're so stressed. They can't get pregnant because they're not ovulating because their GNRH pulses are like, oh my God, she's so stressed all the time. So when it comes to women and intermittent fasting, I say that it's like any stressor. Like if you are excessively exercising or excessively fasting, mm -hmm. excessively stressed in your life, you will disturb your hormones and that will have consequences on your health. Mm. But does that mean we don't exercise? Does that mean that we don't work? And does that mean we don't fast? No. So I think that's where all the confusion lies in the lay media is there like fasting is bad for women or fasting is good for women. It's, it's really not like that. It's like doses of poison. There's like a zero-sum game. It's like you either do it or you don't do it. It's good or it's bad. So it's extremes. A lot of extremes in the media as well, isn't there? And in the yeah, so it's to find that balance, and and it's so bio individual for the person as well, isn't it? Everyone's so so different. I, I want you to carry on, but before you do, I want would you mind just re-explaining because you've explained that better than anyone I've ever heard before. And I talk about this stuff to a lot of people. These well, not but their stress cycle. But you explained so beautifully about the pulses and then the impact on the link to the hormones and to the ovaries and so on. Would you mind just explaining that route again? Because that was really well explained. Thank you. So in our brain, we have a hormone called GnRH, gonadotropin-releasing hormone. And that is kind of the master hormone. And that one is very closely linked to circadian rhythm. So when we get later in the con conversation, you know, we can talk more about that. But they, it, it, and it's pulsing all the time. Yeah. And it's telling the pituitary gland to release all its hormones. So it's, yeah. you know, the female hormones, the male hormones, the adrenaline, adrenal hormones, all of that is getting released by the pituitary gland. Yeah. And then that signals to the ovaries or the testes yeah. or the adrenal glands to release cortisol or to release estrogen or progesterone. And that is how our body kind of regulates. And then all of that feeds back to the gonadotropin releasing hormone. So it's a feedback loop. And so what we find is that if you disturb it from the top down, you can lower the hormones all the way through, or it could be that there's so much estrogen or so much progesterone that it can feed back and turn down that pulse as well. But our mm. pulses are really precisely timed and they're regular. And However, they're very sensitive to external stressors and external stressors can be anything from physical stress, excessive exercise, 
not sleeping, or it can be mental stress. So a death of a loved one, a very stressful job, and it can be, you know, in this case, yeah, we're talking about fasting, but fasting is just a very big stressor on our body, just like any of these other things. And so what I was telling you before is that, you know, we don't tell women, oh, because you lost your period working your leadership job that you should quit because, you know, you don't want to disturb that hormone cycle. It's like, that's what it's people unrealistic. are yeah. yeah, it's unrealistic. Like we should be able to, we are able to exercise and fast and work amazing, do amazing work. We have to listen to those signals. So as soon as you feel very fatigued, when you get the signs of what people called adrenal fatigue, which is Mm -hmm. not really a a A thing, but but they feel the the downstream effects of this GNRH pulse disruption, they will feel tired and they'll feel bloated and they'll feel, they'll feel like their sleep is disturbed. And you know, you get that wired, but tired feeling and they will feel their weight, their metabolism is off. So we know that obesity is often mediated by these disturbances in the GNRH signaling and circadian rhythm signaling. So a lot of what we are dealing with, oh, and depression, anxiety is 100% linked to these disruptions in hormones. So a lot of the problems of our modern day really are linked to this. And we know that. You talk about this all the time. about Mind, body, link, yeah. But unfortunately, we treat these things separately. Oh, you're tired. Oh, you're anxious. Oh, um, you have bloating. You know, you, there's three different. Yeah. So that's meanwhile they're all interrelated. Exactly. And that's what one's got to start looking at. Okay. So let's let's transition to to the circadian fasting because you've mentioned about the pulses, and then you can maybe work your way back to the intermittent fasting because you're big on the on the circadian fasting, and that makes so much sense logically. And you said something else that was really good that I just want to remind people that how you said that if you if you've got inflammation in your brain and you, you you'll get it in your gut and vice versa, the gut brain interaction. And it was only recently that they actually really understood that there is an immune system in the brain as well. They thought it was just in the body. And I just read a paper today talking about how white cells they've actually found white cells in the brain, which is quite a recent discovery showing that there's a function happening that your immune system is also working in your brain, which makes such a lot of logical sense as well. So, it makes sense. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. The brain would be a tight, like they thought before that the brain was completely sterile. There was no yeah, interaction with body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but there's total, I mean, there's a total feedback loop going on all the time. So can we talk about the the circadian rhythm and the the pulses? And What we found found out through, there's a great review paper on this that I was just looking at before. Basically, circadian rhythms and these pulses are completely intertwined. So everyone, humans and non-human species, like from bacteria, plants, animals and humans, you know, part of the animal kingdom, we all have 24-hour circadian rhythms that regulate all of our processes in our bodies. So not only do we have a central clock called the suprachiasmatic nucleus in our brain, but every cell in our body has a clock. So if you completely blinded yourself and put yourself in a dark room, your body would still be functioning on a 24-hour, about a 24-hour cycle. So once we found that out, we were like, oh, that's interesting. So what does that mean? 80% of our genes are based on circadian rhythm. So there's times when we should be, when our cells are programmed, okay, during the daylight hours, 
do these functions, which are usually like metabolic functions. And then in the nighttime darkness hours, they do the repair and the renewal functions. And so it makes complete sense that when you are disturbing this situation. So that now then they have all these separate studies that say bright lights. I don't know if you saw the most today. I think I saw it. bright lights in the evening. People who live, teens that live in neighborhoods with bright lights in the evening have disturbed sleep and, you know, more mental health problems and people who live in darker darker areas. Yeah. So, I mean, all of that goes back to the fact that our bodies are meant to have a rhythm. We can't be doing everything at once. And so when you are giving your body so much bright light in the evenings, blue light from computers and TVs Mm -hmm. and, you know, phones and ambient light, blue light, you are confusing your body. You're saying, oh, we just travel to a place where it's daytime now, you know, so turn on your daytime functions and you're disturbing the melatonin secretion. You're disturbing the cortisol secretion, the feedback mechanism to your GnRH Mm. secretion. And so then you wonder why people, when their circadian rhythms are all over the place, they have problems of metabolism, Mm. cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, brain health issues, mood disorders, because all of these circadian rhythms is completely connected to that GnRH pulsing. So I think what we have easily, you know, what we can easily fix is, hey, okay, I understand now that if I tweak my day a little bit, just a little bit, to tell my body when it's day and when it's night, I might have better energy, better brain function, but also better metabolism, obesity, Mm. you know, I might prevent a mood disorder. So that's something that's so easy for people. I I just don't understand why it's not common recommendations. Like, why aren't we telling people, hey, you know what, stop eating when this is what circadian fasting is. Hey, stop eating two to three hours before bed, you know, prepare your body to know that this is nighttime and they should go into their gut repair mode, right? You, yeah. you are not sending when not digestion body, mode, repair mode. Yes. And when you're not sending <clears throat> glucose into the cells, they can say, okay, now is the time to do the deep cleaning. And that's what autophagy. So autophagy is a process of deep cleaning in the cells and the way they know to start upregulating the deep cleaning in the cells is that they sense that there's no glucose coming in. It's like, you know, in America, yeah, in America, when Halloween comes and a lot of people have many, many visitors coming into their house the entire day, that's like glucose, you know, for, for our, our cells, there's constant glucose. And then, you know, around nighttime, you see your last visitor and then you're kind of saying like, okay, is it, is it okay for us to like close the lights and close the doors and start cleaning up? And that's yeah. what our cells do. They're waiting for you it's to stop eating and stop reading and stop metabolizing so they can start cleaning up. And if we never let that happen, we're never going to get that deep cleaning. We're never going to get that cleanup that we so desperately mm-hmm. need. And people aren't going to go into that deep sleep, that deep delta sleep and get that delta wave. And there's only certain frequencies. Some of the research that I've done, that's, there's only certain frequencies that you're going to get things like your telomerase being released, for example, in deep sleep. And then you need your telomerase for your cell health the next day. So people are missing these cycles of, or not having sufficient of the deep cycles. And what it's, people are doing in the lay media, Carolyn, is that they're following this intermittent fasting plan that's, I don't know, I don't even know, I think it's got 
it became popular through bodybuilders and stuff where they eat late into the evening and then yeah. they sleep and then they don't eat anything till late in the day. And I say to people, I said, that doesn't mm-hmm. make biological sense. Our peak eating times are between 12 and 5 p.m. That's when our digestion is probably the strongest based on circadian rhythm and Eastern medicine. So what you want to do is you want to eat your you know, biggest meals between 12 and five, you want to eat a smaller meal, maybe after five, like a smaller dinner and stop eating two to three hours before bed and then eat a lighter breakfast and then eat your main meals between 12 and five again. So that would be a good circadian pattern. The father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, said that all disease begins in your gut. That's why it's so important, especially during these times, to protect yourself with a boosted immune system If you are looking for a tasty way to defend yourself against harmful bacteria, then I have just the thing for you to try. It's called the Ultimate Immunity Protection Stack. And it was put together by our friends at BioOptimizers. Their immunity stack has three products which contain over 18 natural herbs and probiotic bends formulated to fight and eliminate bad bacteria like E. coli, salmonella, gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria and repair compromised gut lining also known as leaky gut. It also includes psychobiotics, which help increase serotonin and happy chemicals to naturally elevate your mood, performance, and cognitive function with no side effects or dependencies. It's a great addition to your morning routine, and it tastes amazing. Just stir it into any beverage, sip, and enjoy. It's the ultimate way to boost your immunity right before the holiday season. During the entire month of November, they are having a Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. So really, now is the best time to try their products or buy them as early gift for someone you love. Go to www.biooptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use the coupon code Dr. Leaf 10 to save an extra 10% on the immunity protection stack. You won't find that deal or stack anywhere else and this is special only until November 30th. For the fastest shipping and the best deal, go to www.biooptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. So you're not even telling people to to not eat for long periods of time. You're just saying do the bulk of your eating between 12 and 5 and then have a small little breakfast and maybe a small little snack at least three hours before bed. I mean, that's not an unmanageable thing, but this thing where people are starving for hours and hours at a time is is problematic for the circadian rhythm. Is that what you're saying? You know, what, I, what I'm saying is basically that it doesn't take much to improve our health in this way if you're following circadian patterns. Americans eat 15 to 16 hours a day. Oh so my even, gosh. Even That's if, like... So, I know. So even, 15, they eat for 15 to 16 hours a day, the average American. Yeah, so you're wow. just literally stopping to sleep. And that's, I mean, you know, because people sleep, say, an average of six to eight hours. So yeah. literally all they're doing, they're having a, a, like a glass of wine literally right before they go to bed. And then their first meal is right when they wake up. And so mm. what I'm saying is, hey, maybe we spread that out a little bit and give yourself 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever, you know, work your body up to whatever it's comfortable with and give it a longer time to repair and renew and get those autophagy. And there's, there's this other process that I want to touch on, Caroline, called the metabolic switch. And I don't mm. know if this is something that's come up very recently. And what it is, is that our body uses sugar as fuel as yeah. it always prefers glucose as fuel. 
until it runs out of glucose in the blood, it's using the glucose. Then it goes to your liver because in the liver you have stored glucose. So the carb meal you ate yesterday, you know, you have glucose in there and they're going to use that glucose up. Mm -hmm. But what happens once you've used that, say, say you've been fasting for 12, 14, 16 hours now, and then you go for a workout. Oh, wow. They've used up the glucose everywhere. And now they have to, our body is programmed to switch fuel sources when necessary. Mm -hmm. So when it's necessary, it will say, oh, why don't we use some of that stored fat? We'll Mm -hmm. break out the fat that it's in her abdomen or wherever around her organs, and we'll free up those fatty acids. We'll use that for fuel. Now, Carolyn, there's a lot of research that shows going turning that switch, going back Mm -hmm. and forth, Mm -hmm. learning how to use those fatty acids is a tool that turns on all these other beneficial mechanisms in the body. Mm -hmm. So it's like saying, when we do weight training, right? Yes, you're making the muscle stronger, but there's all these other downstream benefits that happen. And exactly the same thing brain benefits metabolism benefits your nervous system in fact if i'm sorry to interrupt you but your when you're doing a workout your nervous system benefits before your physical muscles benefit so your nervous system changes first and then your physical body changes afterwards i find that's always fascinated me that it's that order and we all know i'm an avid exerciser and i use it for my mental health more than my physical health yeah And so basically this metabolic switch is something that we, some people have never even heard of or never turned on. Yeah. Cause they're eating too many carbs. They've never been hungry. They've never gone to the point where their body started to use fat for fuel. Like they never got to that place. Getting into ketosis. Yeah. And it's a muscle. So yes, in the beginning, it will be tough because you're used to seeing all the time. You're used to depending on glucose as fuel. So people tell me all the time, oh, you know, even 12 hours is hard for me because they're so used to that glucose. And as soon as that glucose starts to run out. Yeah, they feel differently. So what you're saying is the metabolic shift that people should be managing is to get into ketosis, so to fit into fat burning. And is that something, so you're shifting between that in a 24-hour period? Yes. So basically it means it could it doesn't mean you have to go on a keto diet what it means is that just by fasting for 12 hours or 14 hours say and then Caroline, I say, you know what? I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to go do my workout. And so your body's like, hey, I already depleted that glucose. And let me look into the liver. And if you hadn't eaten that much sugar the day before, which we recommend, you're going to be starting to use that fat for fuel. And what they found is long distance runners in Kenya and all over the world had been using this technique to train for long runs for many, many centuries. So basically what they would do is to train for their big runs, they would go fasted in the morning and train their bodies like a muscle, you know, train their metabolism to start to use that stored fuel and switch fuel sources. And so what they found in the the big review article in New England Journal about intermittent fasting is that it's not just an act of calorie restriction that's mm-hmm. that's helping here. It's the fact of turning on that metabolic switch. Wow, it's switching. So it's the cleaning, switching from using glucose to using fat where you're actually burning. And that's what the intermittent circadian intermittent fasting trains you to do. That's what we want to do on a regular basis. We want to keep training the body to go back and forth. 
So you want it to go back and forth. You don't want to stay in ketosis the whole time. You want it to be using glucose and and the fats. You want it to keep switching. And that's the key to keeping the rhythm through the body. So from the pulses all the way through getting the whole flow metabolically flowing like it should and the nervous system working like it should. And then, Carolyn, you don't have to do these extreme fasts when we're talking about, you know, when we're talking about the the detrimental effects of fasting, we're talking about extremes. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing we talk about with, you know, extremes of stress on the body in general, exercise and stressful situations like there, you can overcome it. Sometimes it's necessary, but, you know, maybe you want to get the clarity and um, other benefits of long-term fasting, mm-hmm. but you're going to have a hit onto, and everybody's different, hit on your hormones is going to be there and you'll have to deal with the consequences after. But if you're doing short circadian fasting between 12 and 16, 18 hours on a daily basis, you're never going to get into that extreme situation, especially if you go really slow, you know, start with the 12 hours and go up until maybe 16 hours or 18 hours once in a while. I say I have seen so many people doing that and being in the safe zone. There's a new study that just came out, a clinical study that looked at women and men. It was a co-ed study that fasted 14 hours a night. So basically it means from 7 p.m. to 9 a.m., something that's pretty doable. Yeah, that's very doable. 7 7 p.m. to 9 9 a.m. That's what... Yeah. Yeah, so 14 hours. Yeah. They They found significant changes in metabolism and blood pressure and cholesterol and weight loss in, you know, all kinds of inflammatory markers. So it's really not that big of a shift from our usual. And that's why I like circadian fasting, because I think that a busy person like you or me with, you know, I have kids, I have a practice, I have a wellness coach. I, I'm not going to be doing, you know, something, I don't want to make huge shifts to our schedule but something yes. like this was easy for me to incorporate oh yeah because there's no it's 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 like it's in your rhythm anyway you know you you just go to stop eating around seven and you start eating again you know, maybe nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. Because I know what we do is we we do at least three days a week of fasted exercise. And it's made such a difference in just how we, how I'm sleeping. I mean, that's a, one of the first things that I noticed was doing three, because we, we basically exercise every day, three days a week of fasted exercise. And when I say fasted, eating off, going to say orange theory at 9.30 in the morning and then eating at about 11, 12. It's changed how I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping so deeply, you know, and it's, it's I really, then that's basically what you're talking about with this circadian rhythm fasting so what does it look like give us you've already kind of explained it so what would it look like for someone on an average day and how is it different to what shouldn't we be doing and another thing i want you just to i'm just going to emphasize again and you can emphasize it as well as many times as you need to but any extreme form of fasting it's going to mess up your hormones and it's going to mess up the whole hpa axis so it's and that's very i don't think people realize that because that's not out that's not spoken about much i mean this is the view of one of the first people i've heard that has actually explained it as clearly as that, that if you stress your body too much with long periods of time, frequently you, you're messing up your, potentially messing up for a woman, messing up, your, messing up your hormone cycle. And that's quite significant. Whereas the circadian fasting doesn't have that kind of effect. Exactly. And I think of intermittent fasting a lot, it, it, as a hormetic stressor as exercise is a hormetic stressor. Yes. So meaning that you're giving your body a little push, a hormonal push to get stronger. So that's why I say it's different from, you know, it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to work yourself up. If you're used to eating 15, 16 hours a day, then even 
not eating for 12 hours is going to be difficult in the beginning. So I biggest advice I give to people is when they start, start doing it from seven to seven, 7 PM to 7 AM or something similar to that. Mm something simple. So if we went through a day, we would say, okay, if we're trying to optimize our circadian rhythms and doing a circadian fasting, circadian sinking, then in the morning, get some sunlight, give your hypothalamus, give the eye, there's, there's literally eye cells that go straight to the suprachiasmatic nucleus because your eyes are like looking for that light in the morning. So get some sunlight. If it's outdoors, that's the best. If it has to be through a window, fine, but get it before 10 a.m. It doesn't, and people say all the time, oh, but it's cloudy. It's okay. It's just daylight. It's just your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your body doesn't need it to be bright sun. It just needs daylight input. Okay. There are lamps that can mimic that in, in people's lives where they just there's just no way that you can get. They have it for infants. They have it now for normal where you can actually get bright white blue light in the morning. So before 10 a.m., you want to get that. And how much time are you recommending? I say 20 minutes is ideal. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to do a fasted workout outdoors, that would be the ideal situation. That would be the ideal. (laughs) So you wake up, you roll out of bed, you wash your face, you get dressed for your workout. You just simply go outside, do some stretches, do some gratitude work, do some mindset work, do prayer, whatever floats your boat, and then come back in and start your day. And that's, that would be enough. If you can get a couple minutes in, great. If you can get up to 20 minutes or workout in, even better. So fasted workout, remember, is the ideal situation because you're upping your chances of that metabolic switch happening in a, in a bigger way. So, you know, that metabolic switch is really going to happen once it's depleted all that glucose that you ate yesterday and the day before. So that's a real good boost for the brain. It's excellent for brain health that when that metabolic switch, yeah. So you wake up, say ideally six to 7am, you do your fasted workout, you get some morning sunlight, get those, you know, GNRH pulses on cue with circadian rhythms. So you want them to match. So you want them to match. And you're doing that through everything you started off with in the beginning, explaining about the pulses. This is how you do it. This is how you get the pulses matching your circadian rhythm and getting the metabolic switch happening. So it's get up in the morning. So it's starting with getting up in the morning, immediately getting get out there into the sunlight if possible and get that get into that fight, get fasted workout. So don't eat yet. Get dressed, get outside, do some exercise before you eat. Yes. And that would be the ideal situation. So if you're new at it, like I said, make, make changes appropriate for you. Maybe it's not a fasted workout. It's fasted yoga or fasted prayer, or fasted stretching, fasted yeah. walk around the block. You know, it, yeah. it, it has to be appropriate for your level. If you're advanced, then you might be able to do a full workout fasted. So then you come in and you start your day. It's really simple. And where you're at in how strong your muscle is depends on how long you can go without eating. So 12 hours is total is a great start. You see benefits starting at 12 hours. In fact, the breast cancer recurrence study looked at just 12.5 hours of fasting in, in, in women and it showed a 36% reduction in breast cancer recurrence in just about wow. 13 hours of fasting, 12.5. That's amazing. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this should yeah. be common. I, I don't know. It should not, just be yeah. what we're doing. It should just yeah, be what what's spoken about. All the time. Yeah. 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 Right. So, and then, so if you're like Carolyn or like me, where you are used to doing this a little bit, then you might 
want to push it a little bit longer. So you're at the 14, 16 hour mark. For me, what I do is I do only three days where I push it because of my daily schedule. And I think that yeah. for me, my hormones do well when I kind of alternate. So I do like 12, 13 on some days and then alternate with 15, 16, 17 on other days. So it's that kind makes of like sense. That's, day. Yeah, that makes sense. That's how I do it. Yeah. Push day and then like a rest day, kind of yeah. more more relaxed day. But on average, sorry to interrupt you, but on average 12 hours and then have maybe three or four days in the week where you push it to 14 to 16. So instead of eating at seven or eight, you push it maybe to 12 o'clock where you have, or 11 o'clock or something where you have your first meal. 100%. And of course, remember, and I know, Caroline, you talk about this a lot, but this is after you've already slept at least yeah. seven to nine hours. Yeah. I mean, seven to eight to eight and a half hours for people is just essential for this all to work. Because once you've lost your sleep, you've lost that, you know, synchronization between your pulses and the circadian rhythm. So it's so imperative that you get a good night's sleep most days of the week. Now we know, I know for me, if that doesn't necessarily happen every single day, but you're trying to aim for, you know, five out of seven days to get a good night's sleep. So yeah. And, and I was talking to someone the other, just about the sleep. I was interviewing someone the other day who was talking about as long as we get those enough cycles in a week period. So, cause we can get so anxious about not sleeping. I've done a whole podcast on this that we, and I'm sure you've done, speak to your patients about this all the time. We get so anxious about if I don't sleep and we're worrying about not sleeping that we don't sleep. So that's slow. That makes us sleep even worse because we're worrying about all these terrible things that will go wrong. And the, I was speaking, interviewing a doctor the other day, and he was just saying, as long as we can get those cycles and sufficient cycles in a week, and you've got all kinds of ways of measuring on your iPhone, there's apps and everything, is to make sure that you get sufficient. And there are some days where you having such a great maybe discussion with someone that you talk till two, three in the morning, and the quality of that, what it does for your mental health is so important. Yes, you've lost a few hours of sleep, but there's a there's a benefit and, with, and it kind of all balances out in a seven-day cycle. And that just makes sleep so much more, not such a scary thing, but something that you can handle, which is what you're saying with fasting. I mean, do you think seven to seven? I can do that. You know, that's not difficult to do. It's kind of a logical, simple way of doing it. And I love that you said that about giving your, not beating yourself up over. So I, every time I counsel patients and I do programs and I'm, I'm writing a book now that's coming out, I always say, take one day off, not necessarily because you need it, you know, metabolically, which yeah. it can help metabolically, but really because we need to enjoy life. And there's something to be said of having dinner with friends and close yeah. family or close contacts, maybe later in the evening. And maybe that doesn't fit into the you know, circadian rhythms exactly the way you want. But I think the benefits of that doing that once a week, at least really outweighs the negatives. Yeah, because your body's trained, so it'll readjust quite quickly. And maybe the shock is a bit of, because it's quite good sometimes to put our body into shock. It does reset it. You know, there's all the breathing, research on breathing when you, you know, and lots of different exercise and things where you stress your body a little bit, and then it works a little bit more efficiently and resets the brain and that kind of thing. So it's good to do that. So then you start your day and you're not thinking much. Then I'll go back to what I had recommended earlier is eat. The bulk of your meals between 12 and 5, your digestion mm-hmm. is strong. Eastern medicine, both Chinese and Ayurveda, talk about that being your prime digestion times. And when, you know, you eat during those times, you're able to eat very healthfully. You know, usually people eat unhealthy late into the night, you know, late yeah, at that's night. True. So you're eating six to eight servings of vegetables a day. I know you, we have a common friend, Dr. Will, yes. who's a gut health MD and yes. you know what he talks about all the time. And, yeah, it's really um, good. and I completely mm-hmm. agree is that 
fiber is the biggest missing nutrient in the American modern mm. world diet. We literally were eating 150 grams of fiber according to, you know, old gut biopsies, like, you know, that are frozen or found. And now we're eating, you know, less than 20 or 25 grams. Wow. So Mm -hmm. sad. And, you know, even when I looked at, I don't know about you, Caroline, but I, when I was in medical school and I was in training, I thought I was being healthy. I ate almost no vegetable, maybe one serving a day or two at most. And what I'm trying to do now Mm. is do six to eight servings a day. That means six to eight cups of vegetables a day. I mean, that Mm. is a lot. So during those hours, because you know, those gut bacteria that you're feeding with those prebiotic fibers. So the vegetables have prebiotic fibers. They're feeding the gut bacteria. The gut bacteria are literally talking to your immune system. They're talking to your brain. They're talking to that hormones. They're connecting all of that. Mm. And you need that. That's an essential part of this whole system to work properly. And then really easy, about an hour before bed, two hours before bed, start to turn off those blue lights. I know the phone is the hardest. I can turn off the TV and the computer in a heartbeat, but you tell me to turn off my phone. And I'm like, no, no, no I'm going to put the blue light blocking thing. I'm going to wear blue light. Lots of <laughs> yeah, we have all the excuses in the world. It's really hard. So I say for the phone, you can do 30 minutes to 45 or one hour before bed. But with, so what I do is 8.30, my phone is off. Everybody knows in the world that I will not answer texts or emails or, and it also calms my mind because I don't get that exciting negative Mm. or positive feelings from an email or from a text. And it really helps me wind down. I know that I'm just, that's off and really give yourself, if you can turn your light bulbs in your room to yellow light in your bedroom or just turn off all the white blue light and just use yellow bulbs or use mm-hmm. candlelight. In fact, candlelight, they looked at it and it has very low blue light. Then I, what I do is I have a nighttime sleep hygiene routine that I highly recommend for anyone who has struggled with sleep. I have struggled with sleep for many years, but I realized that I, Caroline, I was the patient. I realized Wow, I was I was doing the wrong things from top down. No wonder I had sleep issues. You, yeah. you know, people ask like, why do I wake up in the middle of the night? It's because you never took care of yeah, your stuff uh, HPA axis during the day, and now it's coming. Exactly. Your cortisol is waking you up in the middle of the night. So my sleep hygiene routine is the same every single day, no matter if I'm traveling or at home, and I spend about. 15, 20, 30 minutes doing, you know, brushing my teeth, uh, planning the next day, doing some gratitude, doing my skincare, and just something away from the TV and the phone and the yeah. computer. Maybe having some quiet conversation with the kids and then basically turning down the temperature, blacking out the lights. I um, sometimes I'll wear earplugs and then going to bed around 10 p.m. is shown to be the optimal time for sleep, 10 to 6 is the optimal times. Now you can change that. Everybody has a different yeah, schedule. You can, you can change that a little bit, but actually they found Dr. Pandey's research, he's up from the Salk Institute. They found that people don't have very markedly different circadian rhythms. Like, you know, everybody else says, oh, I'm a night owl. I'm a daytime. But if you really put people in a cave and I think it was his lab or he talked about his colleagues yeah. lab, where they had actually the people all, you know, staying in all a cave of darkness. And they found that people, I mean, it's 20 minutes variation between all types of so interesting. 
So, you know, there's people who consider themselves night owls, it may just be a socialized, condi- you know, thing that they've convinced themselves because they enjoy that downtime in the, in the night. But in the evening. Can, mm-hmm. And you can maybe shift that up a little bit. Are you looking to take your mental health healing journey to the next level and find sustainable solutions to some of your biggest struggles? Then join me at my 2020 Virtual Mental Health Solutions Summit, December 3 through 6. I will be joined by amazing guest speakers like Dr. Daniel Amen, who will be sharing some strategies on how to stop those automatic negative thoughts and keep your brain healthy. And Dr. Henry Cloud, who will be discussing when and how to set boundaries and how to enforce those boundaries. I will also be joined by Dr. Nicole Lepera, who will be discussing how to heal from childhood trauma, secondary trauma and more. Dr. Will Cole will be sharing some great tips on how to reduce inflammation in our brains and bodies and what to do and eat for optimal mental and brain health. Finally, my good friend, singer and member of the hit group Destiny's Child, Michelle Williams and I will talk you through how to make brain detoxing part of your everyday routine. There will also be sessions on how to stop overthinking, how to deal with toxic people and words and so much more. We are also pleased to be offering CME and CEU credits. For more information and to register, visit drleafconference.com. That's B-R-L-E-A-F-C-O-N-F-E-R-E-N-C-E.com. The link will also be in the show notes. Now, that's really good advice because it's, I know with myself, when I'm writing books or doing research or writing articles or things, very often I'll work into the early hours of the morning, but you can't sustain that for very long. Eventually, you will feel worn out. So you've got to, and that's why I say if it happens for a few days, as long as within your seven week, seven day cycle, you're getting a few days where you are really catching up on that sleep. But, you know, Carolyn, that's a good point for people tell me all the time. I have a lot of moms in my audience and Mm -hmm. they say to me, oh, I have young children or have, you know, things that block me. And I, I say the same thing to them. It's not about being anxious about every night getting that sleep. It's about in a week's time, we'll be able to get, you know, four to five days out of that week in a reasonably good pattern. Exactly. And I think it's it's so important that like you said in the beginning is you like nature, day, night, whatever, and circadian rhythms. What we're talking about is tuning into the signals of our body. And I think if we increase our awareness of that, and that's something that I speak about a lot and you do too, is you've got to be aware of, I talk a lot about my body and mind as well. What are the signals? And if, I think if we start learning to tune into our signals and realize, hey, my mind's still going because your mind never stops, but your body's tired, your brain's tired. So what are you going to do to wind down? Some of the things you've been saying can really help that. But if you go now eat when you're in that state, you're just going to wind it up even more. You're not going to give your brain a chance. So you're tired. You're physically tired. Your brain's tired. Your mind's still going crazy. This is some, I'm sure you get asked this often. This is sort of common question we get. And then, then you're in that state and then you go and get on your phone and go and eat a whole bunch of junk food or sugary snacks or snacks that are too, you know, that, that then allow your body's instead of going into that rest mode, as you said earlier on, where it can go into regeneration, it goes into digestion. So it goes into the wrong, it's going into the wrong mode and then you've woken yourself up and now the melatonin, cortisol is all, so the whole, the pulsing's all out and that's going to take a few hours for you to settle down again. Yes, absolutely. You know, one bout of bright light in the evenings delays your melatonin by 90 minutes. So you can one imagine. One bout of bright light delays your melatonin by 90 minutes. That's crazy. Can, yeah. So you can imagine why everybody, you know, such a huge population needs, you know, a downer to go to sleep yeah. and then they need an upper to wake up. And then and because our circadian rhythms are just so out of whack. 
So the intermittent fasting and the things that you've been saying, the intermittent fasting, the way you've described, you said 12 is the minimum and then your goal is to get to three days a week to do it at around 14 to 16. Is that correct? And that's and then those are the days that you would do some fasted kind of movement involved as well. So either full on workout or whatever you can cope with, walking, yoga, whatever works for you. So what are the dangers? Now, you mentioned them briefly earlier on, but what are the dangers of the, the current model of intermittent fasting that's so punted all over the place? These different versions of it. Could you maybe just speak about what a couple of those are? Because I'm sure my audience has heard and read and even tried a few of the different ways of doing intermittent fasting, wait eight hours or whatever, whatever. There's so many and how that could potentially be dangerous for your body. 100%. So the big study, the only study on women's hormones and fasting looked at alternate day fasting. So that means one day you eat, one day you don't eat. Okay. And that's in mice. So that's probably equivalent to about a three-day fast in humans. Okay. And they did that for 12 weeks and they found that the ovary shrunk, wow. the GnRH pulses stopped, wow. the estrogen was low. So we know that there is a potential here to really impact the hormones at high levels of fasting. And I think that makes sense mm-hmm. because you wouldn't go out on your first day of weightlifting, you wouldn't lift, you know, 300 pounds because you will damage and tear your muscles. And exactly. It's the same way of fasting. So really caution women or anybody, honestly, to take their time and not jump into something. You wouldn't run a marathon on the first day of running just like that. You're not going to want to fast 16, 18 hours. So the typical fasting in the media is 16, 8. 16-8, 16-8, that's very common, yeah, 16-8. Mm-hmm. 16 hours of fasting, eight hours of eating. That, for many women, is going to be like lifting 300 pounds on your first oh, day. Oh, wow. So 16-8 for most women, that's not, we're not talking men here, we're talking for, and it's not every woman, but it's most women, 16-8 will mess up their hormones. Yeah, they're doing it aggressively, 16-8. For me, that's what happened. And I see this in many, many people. That's not to say, some people come to me and they say, oh, I'm a woman. I do 16-8 every single day. it works for them. Yeah. Yeah. But if you look at the huge, I would say majority of women when they first start, they cannot tolerate 16-8, especially every day. I think that you really need to do shorter bouts in the beginning and work yourself up just like any exercise or any brain health, like you have to work yourself up. So, so longer fasting intervals may be too stressful. And even the traditional media based fasting that's for, uh, that's, you know, based on people's experience is probably or often too aggressive for Mm. women. Am I hearing you say that we need to be very, very careful about saying, because there's so, I mean, the wellness industry is rife with books about how this is the solution to, you know, like intermittent fasting is for everyone, but it's not. We're so by individual that, because there are some people that have healed incredibly well from different issues with like, a regular water fast where they do it for three days or three, whatever, however long, but that may be totally detrimental to someone else. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the message is, yes, find out. And if you feel you want to try a longer fast, but on average, we should be doing this 12, seven, at least 12 hours and at least three days a week, we should be doing 14 to 16. But these extreme fasts aren't for everyone, may work for some and not for others. And to be very careful and listen to your body. And if they are doing them to test your, I would assume to do it under medical supervision so that your hormones can be, can be watched. 
Yes, that's, and you said it so eloquently. It's not that you cannot do a longer fast. And there's many, many reasons for wanting to do a longer fast, spiritual, mental, yeah. you know, there's other things that fasting brings besides just, you know, health benefits. However, you really want to do it in careful fashion, in a moderate fashion. And you have to understand that it is the same thing. Not everyone is going to be able to do an ultra marathon. Yeah, exactly. Let's pick up the 300 pounds or whatever. Yeah. You can train for it. You can challenge yourself. You can recover from it. But should everybody be doing it? No. And so that's how I feel about these kind of, I would say anything longer than a 24-hour fast is, is something that I would really caution that, hey, do it if you want to, but you really need to train for it. Work with someone who's an expert in this and watching, really recovering your body from this immense stress that you put on your hormones afterwards. So those are kind of like the different types. Such good advice. So that's, I just want to check if there's any other, what are common fasting mistakes people make? This is, I think, going too long. Or- going too long. Also eating a lot of sugar in their fasting window, because again, uh. if you are too dependent on that glucose rise and fall, it's one, it's going to be much harder for you to get that metabolic switch, which is a big benefit of intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And two, you're going, your body is going to be very resistant to those basically when that sugar peaks, you feel good. And then when that sugar is falling, you get all these signals like jitteriness, like hunger cravings Mm. that will really come in your way when you are trying to even do a 12 hour fast. And so what ends up being it happening is that in the typical modern American diet, we're on this sugar roller coaster. This yeah. roller coaster so where dangerous. we feel like we need a snack every couple of hours to keep that glucose level high. Otherwise, we feel down and we feel cranky mm. and we have cravings. Push through that. Yeah. They've never in their life been on the bottom of that roller coaster. So, what I say, it may take two weeks for you to yeah. first cut out those simple sugars out yeah. of your diet and get your body used to not being on that sugar high constantly so that you can actually experience the beneficial effects of fasting without having all those side effects right right off the bat. That's incredible. So it's 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 actually to make people I mean people you can't not be aware that the modern american diet's bad. Most people are aware there's so much information out there. And so to, you know if you if you're getting these sugar just just confirming what you're saying if people are getting these highs and lows and you're living on the on american diet the lows that you're feeling are not because of you not eating they're because of what you've eaten so it's a matter of changing your diet as well as then introducing the intermittent fasting so it's a it's a complete lifestyle change in order to get those benefits you know it's so interesting i'm sure you're aware of the research where they showed that it's actually more difficult to, to come off the modern american diet than it is to get off heroin which I found very, yeah, very interesting. It's actually more difficult because it's so insidious and it's such a, a sort of part of everyday lifestyle. If you say 15 to 16 hours a day, people are eating that junk food. I mean, it, it, I've written a book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart. The, the sugar, as you know, what it does, that, that, that processed sugar does in your brain and your metabolism and gut. And it's just, so it, you're going to have side effects when you come off. And I think that's part of the education, isn't it, Dr. I mean, we've got to educate people to understand that if you get these side effects, they're most likely related to if you are on the modern American diet, it needs to be a bit of self-checking about what are you actually eating 
if, and that to say, oh, intermittent fasting doesn't work for me, it may be, first of all, you've got to address the diet. And then once you've addressed that, introduce the intermittent fasting or something or combination together. And, and it's going to take, I mean, it's going to take three to nine weeks. It takes nine weeks to build a habit. That's some of the research I've just done recently. It's not three weeks. It's nine weeks at least. So the real change is it could take as long as that to start transferring over to a decent diet and a good intermittent fasting pattern. So that's really something. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, Is this is an, quite an important question. We'll, we'll kind of wrap up with this question. Is fasting safe for those who have a history of disordered eating? That's a great question. That's like asking the question, is drinking safe for someone with a history of alcoholism? Probably not. That's probably not something that you want to get into if you cannot do it in a safe way. If you cannot, Mm. like, you know, it's the same thing with alcoholism. If you cannot have one and stop at one, then it's not for you. And the same thing with disordered eating. There's many, many women and men, you know, mostly women in this country who have dealt with eating disorders and for them, something like intermittent fasting triggers that chemistry of restrictive eating. And so I say, don't go there. If that's something that triggers you, don't go there. It's not So if you have a patient that comes to you that's not sleeping, and it's definitely, you know, you see from all the way your diagnosis that there's a whole lot of metabolic issues and so on going on, but they've got a history of eating and disorders, eating issues. What would you, how would you handle a situation like that in terms of intermittent fasting? Yeah. So then we don't restrict we don't talk about restrictions of time okay. and restrictions okay. of food. We may just talk about a clean diet, like we okay. had alluded to, or you know, we had talked about in our daytime getting yeah. six to eight servings of vegetables, cutting out that processed sugar, and really focusing on whole foods and really cleaning up that sleep hygiene and all the other things that and are eating not- between twelve and five, having where you get the most, where your body gets the most nutrition. Exactly, and making yeah. sure that you're getting the quality calories, you know, with whole foods and natural things that occur in our diet instead of having a lot of those processed foods. So if you're trying to change metabolism in a way that's helpful, really starting with six to eight servings of vegetables a day and cutting out the processed sugar would be an easy thing for someone like that. Okay, that's fantastic. What about in this wellness space out there? What are some things that excite you in the wellness space? Because it's such a big space. And what are some things that are really concerning to you in in this wellness space? I'll start with concerning. I think the concerning thing to me is that we're still searching for shortcuts and pill-based solutions. I Mm. mean, the diet industry is still fooling everyone. I mean, I see it every day in my staff and my uh, people I talk to. Everyone Mm. wants that magic pill. And the mindset is, oh, there's something discovered that the secret that will shortcut all of this other work. And I think that that is, people are still preying on that. It is Mm. still prevalent in our society and our, in our culture. What I'm excited about is exactly the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing is that the mind-body connection. I am convinced that if more people are aware of this connection and the few small things you'd have to do, like that fasted workout you talked about, Mm -hmm. this circadian fasting that I talked about, the few things that you actually have to do to attain a little more of that mind-body connection, I'm really excited that that can be a game changer in a way that a medication never could change that. Absolutely. And lo- I love that. That's so good. I-, I love what you've identified there. And just in closing, I mean, you've, you've, 
kind of put, it's come through our discussion, but the whole concept of mental health and intermittent fasting and, you know, helping with depression and anxiety. And so we, you've, a lot of what you've been saying in terms of getting your, your, the pulses aligning with your circadian rhythm, aligning with a healthy diet, aligning with the whole intermittent fasting pattern helps to create an environment where you're, you've got a stronger chance of being mentally healthy. So you've said that quite a bit throughout the, some, that summary. So are you seeing in terms of mental health, do you see a change in your patients when they shift into this, to this kind of pattern? Hundred percent. My book that's coming out is called "I'm So Effing Tired." Because I love it. Women, you know, it's a pandemic, another pandemic yeah. that we're dealing with. Is you know fatigue and burnout, and why does that happen? Yes, it's mm. it's you know external stressors that are happening for yeah. women in general, but it's the asynchronous nature of our lives with our hormonal patterns. So our circadian rhythms are disturbed. And our hormonal patterns are disturbed. And they have shown in studies very clearly Mm. that when the cortisol secretion is off its cycle, it correlates with anxiety and depression and thousands of metabolic disturbances that lead to all different problems. And so you could easily say that if you fix that one problem, you could fix 10 different top mental and physical health problems in the world today. Oh, I totally agree with you. My recent clinical trials, we saw we saw so many different things, but we saw that direct correlation to as people became more self-regulated in their mind, we saw a distinct correlation, a causative link, but with, with cortisol levels normalizing and homocysteine levels normalizing, you know, that's inflamm- even the telomeres changing. So that there was a direct correlation. Then we saw the same thing, you know, we saw the link into the brain as well, how the brain was changing in terms of energy and the, all the different frequencies. So there's, I mean, there's, there's so much research in this in this area but giving people that awareness that you can actually control these things you can you can plan your eating you can get your mind right you can giving people that kind of knowledge does change the way that your body functions is a directly that that link is there and it's and we and we have a lot of influence as humans over that link we we to our lifestyles which is very exciting to know and very empowering yeah, so empowering. Well, I love your approach to this this fasting. I think this is the most balanced version that I've heard and that I've interviewed people about and read about. It just makes so much sense because it's just logical that you go with the night-day cycle and what your body needs. And there's so many benefits and there's so much research on this as well to confirm your approach. So thank you so much for sharing it with me today. And I'd love to invite you back again to talk about more things because there's a lot of other things you talk about as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Amy, for coming on my show today. It's been such a great and such an interesting conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. 
Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.